Blog Talk Radio. W Sports Sports Monday. Yes, another edition of a women's sports weekly wrap up here with Luis Sanchez and Kyle Westcott. No Erica Ayala this week. She's on her way for a conference traveling across the country. Kyle, I wish we were traveling across the country right now. I know, seriously. It sounds like a lot of fun, but uh I'm I know you'll be listening she's excited to to get thinking about all the great sports we've had the past week. Absolutely. A lot to get to in this edition of My W Sports, Sports Monday. We have a new WNBA Finals champion, and we're, we're so excited to get to that conversation. A lot going on with the WNBA Finals. We got WTA and LPGA tournament updates. A lot happening in the WTA, it's the road to Singapore Finals. So the top eight players uh, playing right now in, uh, in the championship. LPGA tournament, that will come up around... Uh, late November, we'll get that championship of some tournaments going on right now for, for positioning in the CME Globe Chase. Uh, and NWHL, CWHL recaps, we had a lot of action this weekend we will get to in just a moment. But before we get to all of our stuff, let's swing it over to Kyle for this week's Fun Fact of the Week. Fun Fact of the Week this week, the number fourth ranked Boston College women's ice hockey team is the only coaching staff in Division One that is an all-female coaching staff. Between them, Katie Crowley, Courtney Kennedy, and Jillian Appas, they have won eight Olympic medals. Incredible. A little, a little BC love in there early on in the show. I like it. Well, you know, we got a lot of hockey to talk this week, and uh, I think we are also <laughs> going to talk about some, some former BC players uh, having a great week for the NWHL. Oh, I cannot wait to get into that conversation, Kyle. But before we even get to that, I mean, I, I've been grooving for this show to talk about the BC women's uh, <laughs> hockey alums who are, are tearing it up, not only in the NWHL, but in the CWHL as well. But, Kyle, we had a championship to get to, and you heard on our last show, Game 4 was uh, was crucial for the Minnesota Lynx. They were down 2-1, to one, could have given up the series to L.A. on L.A.'s home court, but instead... They fight back and win game four, 85-79, to 79, setting up an all, 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 I don't even know. I mean, just everything on the table winner take all with game five. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> A game five, winner take all uh, matchup between the Lynx and the Sparks. And, Kyle, I mean, if, if the fans in the 20th season wanted to see anything, it was this type of game, this type of series. What were your thoughts of game four? And then we'll get into game five. 
I, I mean, going back to last week, we talked about what what I thought would happen, and I thought that the Barks would eventually win this. I didn't know there would be in Game Four still in L.A. or or Game Five back in Minnesota, but I never predicted what happened between these two games, and and it started in Game Four. It started in a, a back and forth. Um, one team would take a little bit of a lead. The other team would come back and take the lead. Then the other team would come back, take a lead. And then the other team would, would take the lead. And, and when it came down to it, this was a, a ball game until the final horn sounded. And, and uh, there was a, a questionable call in game four. Uh, we had uh, um, the links in the backcourt. You have to get it across the half line uh, in eight seconds. It, it appears and, and the league has now confirmed that the ball was in the air and not touched by a Lynx player in the front court. So it should have been called for an eight-second violation, uh, giving the Sparks back the ball with a, a, just a little bit of time left and, and had an opportunity to close that gap. Um, unfortunately, that, that wasn't called, and the Lynx would go on to win 85-79. Um, you know, but I think that the Lynx in game four – did play the better total game. And so I don't, I don't blame the one missed call uh, as to why the Lynx won this game. So I, I, I'd like to disagree with you, Kyle, because, you know, in, in, in this game, we saw Minnesota pick up a 46-40 lead at the half. And then in the second half, it was back and forth, man. I mean, you look at these two teams, they were, they were taking shots, they were taking runs, and then they'd come right back, whoever it was, whether it was the Lynx or the Sparks, and in that second half, both teams had 39 points apiece. So when you put in a play that, you know, during a one-possession game, less than two minutes on the clock, I, I think that, that's where the fans get a little upset that this wasn't called because it, it could have led. And, and, again, we, we always speculate in these situations because we don't know what could have happened. We don't, we, we don't have a time ball, uh, you know, a parallel universe looking into a time ball uh, and saying, hey, like, this is, this is the, the outcome if this didn't happen or if this did happen. So – I, I, that's that's where, as a fan, it kind of frustrated me because you don't know what happens if, if Minnesota, excuse me, if LA gets the ball back, you know, down two points um, in that next series. Lindsey Whalen goes down court, gets gets an opportunity at the free throw line to make it a four point game, and then they get another stop, and and you know the, the rest of the story is there. But that's that's where where this whole I guess referee debate gets intense because you have fans who you know understand the human error. But and then, like you, Kyle, you're a ref yourself. You understand that some of these calls, you just, you know, in a game like this or in games like these, you kind of, it's human error. It is. And, and I never, I always have to remember that, and I always want fans to remember as well, that, that the referees are still human and they're going to make mistakes. And I'm sure that there is other penalties uh, whether it being uh, fines or there being games lost, um, the, the referees will not come out of this, you know, unscathed, if you will. Th- they're gonna they're gonna have some harsh criticisms from from their superiors as well. Um, but but we are human, and so are the referees. And you know, I, I still don't believe that this this changed the outcome of the of this game. Um, could the Sparks have possibly made a comeback at the end? Possibly. Um, but all in all, you know, they refed a great game and, and we're talking about one 
one possible, you know, maybe by half of a second, maybe by less than that of a call here um, out of, I don't know how many calls they made, hundreds of calls or judgments during the course of that game. And I, and that's what I agree with the most is when you look at this, the quality of this game, the refs did let them play throughout. I mean, there weren't a lot of fouls. Uh, I think one player had five fouls, and that was my – or excuse me, two players had five fouls. That was Maya Moore and Simone Augustus. Um, the Sparks were pretty disciplined. But but in this game, Kyle, and I think this, stole, this, this itself, the eight-second call, might have stolen the headlines a bit. Um, but Maya Moore goes off for 31 after going mm-hmm. for seven points in game three. Um, she shot nine of 17. She, she added nine rebounds and five assists. And not only that, it, it seemed like the team knew what was at stake. You know, Sylvia Fowles had her, you know, 10 points in the first half, added 13 rebounds. Uh, so this was a big game for the team to come together when your starters, three, four of your five starters are in double digits. Well, and, and what I loved about this series was it was a different person that, that both teams were counting on night in and night out. Maya Moore had a great game four. But she didn't have a great game three. Candace Parker didn't have a great game two, but she had an amazing game three. And we'll talk more about game five later on. And, you know, this is just a – this is what's great about the WNBA. You, you don't rely on one superstar to carry you every single game. There's much more of a, of a team aspect. There's much more of sharing the ball, sharing the load. And, and I love that about the WNBA and what we and we saw it in the most vital part this year in the WNBA Finals. And we also saw it in, in Game 4 as well with, with Chelsea mm. Gray for the Sparks on the opposite end. She comes off the bench and nets a team-high 20 points, 4 or 5 from the three-point line. And a lot of people have written Chelsea Gray off since she left Duke. But this was her coming out game because, as we'll get to in Game 5, she also had a crucial Game 5, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and again, this is a, a a player stepping up that that maybe was under under um uh wasn't talked a lot about, and and she came out and she did her job and and did what she could to help the 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 team play, you know. And we said well, Kyle, the same thing about it. about Beard last week about in Game Three. Same thing. This is a player that all of a sudden came out of nowhere. Not really out of nowhere, but but really had herself a series. And, and I was just going to say that you mentioned that last week about Beard, and, and we, yeah. we were talking about who was going to step up in Game Four for the Lynx if they do force a Game Five. But it, it seemed like the lack of of aggressiveness from LA in that in that game where they could close out Minnesota. That's kind of what got me. Was like, wait, I mean you didn't really expect LA to kind of loosen the pedal. And it seemed like they did, especially in that first half, that it was going to be easier than they expected. Well, I think that there's a lot of emotion and a lot of, um, a lot of, you hear the fans yelling and, and cheering and it's your home court. And you think, you know what, this is our game. We have to win this on our home floor. You know, maybe that extra added pressure was too much. And, um, you know, sometimes that can get into a player's head rather than drive them. It can slow them down. So I don't know if that's what happened, um, but I, I just think that the Lynx in game four were more focused. And, and like I said, for me, I thought they played the better all-around game. Absolutely. And so we moved to game five and a lot going on in game five. You have Minnesota 
you know, ready to catch a back-to-back title, first time since L.A. did it in 01 and 02. They're in the cusp of, you know, grabbing their fourth franchise championship, which would tie the Houston Comets for the most all-time in the WNBA. And then you look at the other side. The Los Angeles Sparks haven't won a championship since 2002, so that's a a 12-year, 14-year absence. Um, And there's a lot of storylines going into Game 5, Kyle. When you thought about, all right, it didn't wrap up in Game 4, what were your thoughts going into Game 5? I I mean, I still felt like – I always felt like the Sparks were somehow going to pull this out. I just felt like the – the destiny or the stars were in line for this one. And, uh, you know, everything that's happened to Candace Parker this past year, I thought it, this was just her year and it was, it was supposed to just be a Sparks win. Um, obviously that's easier said than in Minnesota. Um, but then uh, after game four, uh, Magic Johnson went into the Sparks locker room and said to him, said, it's not over. This, this series is not over. There's still 40 minutes left to play. And the Sparks, I think really, uh, use that as they headed to Minnesota and you could just I, I just felt like the Sparks were were more aggressive and really um, you know we're, we're putting great shots up that may not have been great shots but they were spectacular shots that were somehow going in every time they put it up specifically with Ogumake and Parker. Absolutely you mentioned you know the two-time MVP Candace Parker reigning MVP, Neka Wumake, I mean, their performance is exactly what you want from your star players. And they came out in game five and gave it their all. You talk about the stat line. Neka, she didn't score a lot. She was a high-scoring uh, big this year, 12 points, but crucial rebounds, uh, especially late in this game, Kyle. But I guess the story here is on the road, the Sparks jumped up to a 22-point lead. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, somehow this Lynx team crawled their way back and made this a back-and-forth affair in the, in the fourth quarter. Uh, I mean, who wouldn't want this in a Game 5 winner-take-all game, Kyle? When you think about the players on each team, we got everything we wanted from this whole new playoff system that the WNBA came out with. And, and you said it. I think I question again, same as you said in Game 4, if, if when the Sparks got that lead, if they kind of took a little off the, the gas pedal and uh, let the Lynx back in this game. But... Um, you know, when that time was right, when, when they needed it down the stretch, uh, in the closing two minutes, you know, the Sparks were, were great. And you're right, this is a great win for them. Um, you know, third title, it's been a long time for the Sparks, um, but Candace deserved it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to just single out Candace Parker. I know she was the MVP of this series, but, um, but again, there was just a lot that happened to her this year with not making the uh, the Olympic team and and her her former coach uh, Pat Summit passing away, and and you could tell the emotions uh, after the the game uh, when when Holly Rowe talked to her and and she just broke down crying and said that uh, this one was for Pat, and uh, you know that was a really touching moment uh, for anybody who also remembers Pat Summit and and her legacy, and and it lives within Candace Parker, and and she got the the uh, championship this year um, with that on her mind. And I think, you know, for, for most players who got to play for Pat, they had their own kind of remembrance. They had their own uh, way of, you know, showing her love. And, and I think this is kind of the best way to do it. You know, with Candace Parker 
playing as hard as she played in these, in, in not only the finals, but in the playoff series, to keep L.A. ahead and to keep L.A. in position to fight for a championship. She scores 28 in this matchup, notches 12 rebounds, uh, and, and her performance late, you mentioned it, Kyle, in that fourth quarter, we saw four lead changes in the last minute alone. Um, right. that, that in itself is incredible. All right, so you want to bring up the elephant in the room? Uh, well, first, let's say this. So the, the Sparks <laughs> took the lead with uh, – it was, it was a 77-76 win for the Sparks. The Sparks took the lead with 3.1 seconds left. Mecca, I think she was just trying to pad the stats here, Kyle, because she probably noticed she only had 10 rebounds. She wanted two more. <laughs> so she got a couple rebounds, got the putback with 1.3 left, sunk the shot. Minnesota a half-court heave did not go in by Lindsey Whalen. But, yes, let's go back. Let's rewind time a little bit, Kyle. At a minute and 14 in this matchup, in the fourth quarter, in a one-point game with the Lynx ahead, um, you had Neko Wumake shoot a shot from just outside the paint where it's, you look on the replay, it's clearly during the shot clock buzzer. It's still in her hands. So, obviously, another call that goes missed, Kyle. A 24-second shot clock violation should have been called. And on the replay, you also see a referee signal that, hey, we'll go back to it. Um, tapping on his head, which is traditionally the call for, for a shot clock violation. Um, but they never ended up reviewing this play, Kyle. Right. So when when you are under two minutes to play and you have a shot uh, that is in question, you have to stop it immediately. It, it is not the same as in the first quarter, uh, let's say there was a uh, question about – whether it's a two or a three when the, when the players shot it, you can mark it by making that signal and at the next media timeout or, or stop the play, you can go and you can review that. Unfortunately, in the last two minutes, you have to stop it immediately. It has to be on the spot um, before the next play happens. And unfortunately the, the referee at this time did not stop the play. He just marked it. And the play went on, and so it never happened. The um, the Lynx scored to then tie it back up at 73-73. And the entire time, Coach Cheryl Reeve thought that they were going to go back and review that play. So she's thinking they tied it up, but we're actually going to be ahead because that other basket isn't going to count. So she calls a timeout with 35.8 seconds to go, thinking, okay, going to review it we're going to get the lead let's get ready to to go and finish out this game and unfortunately that's not what happened because they couldn't back to review it absolutely and we'll give you a second to listen exactly to what coach Cheryl Reeve had to say after the game Neko Gumake's shot was not good it was reviewable at the time when she shot it the referees at that point didn't think anything was wrong. They didn't understand that it was the end of the clock. They didn't hear the shot clock. When they put the ball in play, the play is no longer reviewable. It's not fair to the players. It's not enough just to apologize and send out a memo that they got something wrong. Okay? These players are so invested, and something must be done about the officiating in this league. What do you think can be done to improve the officiating? I don't get paid enough to do somebody else's job, too. Just get the simple things right. Simple. Eight-second call. Shot clock violation. 
things right, and we'll live with the other stuff that happens in a game. It's unfortunate. I mean, I don't know what happens from there. Maybe they still win. I don't know. That's why I don't want to take anything away from L.A. You know, but that doesn't stop other teams from bitching and complaining when it's happened in our favor. So we might as well get our bitching and complaining in as well. Well, Kyle. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch, indeed. I mean, Ouch. she was kind of fired up there. And, and again, I want to say this specifically because I, I think this gets lost in the conversation. She did say, hey, we don't know what would happen. L.A. might still end up winning, but, you know, it didn't really help us in this situation. So I just want to clear that up. But go ahead, Kyle, yeah. your thoughts. Well, here's the problem, Coach. Um, her players get the ball back after that timeout. She gets a free throw. They take the lead with under one shot clock to go. Sparks then get the basket with 19 seconds to go and take the one-point lead. The Lynx then get the ball, not hold for the final shot. So she had the opportunity to win this game if she had held till the final shot. Instead, they go down, they get a quick basket at 15 seconds, allowing the Sparks the opportunity to have the last shot. And the Sparks took that last shot and won the game. So I don't know that I can blame the officiating totally on this. Part of me says, you know what, Lynx, you probably should have just hung on until the final shot because you had that opportunity. And I I agree there. I mean, when you look at, you know, the timeout Minnesota took at 35.8, I mean, in that situation, I'm assuming, Kyle, as a coach, you're going for two for one. You know, if, yes. if that's the case, yes. you get your quick bucket and you make a stop and still have enough time. And they did that. They they made they the stop. That. And then, obviously, Candace Parker had a great turnaround layup uh, to get her 28th point. Now, yep. that made it, I think, 75-74 with under 20 seconds to go. This is what you're talking about. Most teams, and I think anybody can say it, excuse me, <clears throat> most teams would hold for that final shot in a one-point game. If it's a two-point game and you have to get a three or a two, maybe that's different. But in a one-point game, you get a layup, you get a jumper, you get a three-pointer. There's so many options. L.A., they went baseline, they found Maya Moore, and Maya Moore does what she does. Now, there was just way too much time on the clock, 15.4 left. That's plenty of time for L.A. And as I mentioned before, Awumake, she went in and got a couple of rebounds and sunk that final bucket with 3.1. So I absolutely agree with you, Kyle. I think there's, there's, there's a way to do it at the end of the game, and I think that's kind of where Minnesota let themselves down a little bit. Is they left way too much time on the clock. Yeah, and, and especially – and I understand that you want to make sure you get the basket and you want to take the lead and put the pressure on the Sparks. But the Sparks have come up huge so many times. I mean, you lost game one because you gave the Sparks the final shot, and yet you're going to give them the final shot in game five as well. I, I just think that, that that's not really the card to, to play. I think with, with the players that you have, hang on to the ball, take the final shot, win or lose, at least it was coming off of your hands, and then you have the opportunity to say, you know what, we, we may have gotten screwed now because – we actually did have the final shot, but we should have been up. And and that's exactly it. You know, that should have, would have. And I think, you know, if – and I'm pretty sure I'm thinking – I'm trying to think hard about it. I'm pretty sure Minnesota had a timeout. So if that call was really that big in that moment, wouldn't Minnesota be able to take a timeout say, hey, can you check this? Because it's, you know, you, you signal to check it. 
and maybe get a timeout back or, or something along those lines? I, I don't believe that they they had the one that they took at 35 where I think she believed she was just going to be able to get it uh, reviewed. Um, I don't believe that they didn't have another one after that. Okay. Uh, and I know I, I know L.A. had a rush up court because they had no timeouts and with 15.4. So I know that that shot from a wound came with L.A. with no time to set up the play. Um, but, all right, Kyle, we talked about the, the elephant in the room. And, you know, again, it, it's <laughs> tough. It's a tough call to make, but yeah. it's human error. We can't – I don't think there's ever been a situation in sports where something was done wrong and then they go back and replay the game or, or, or anything of that nature. No, and I, I don't believe that, that would have been the right call, even if that's what Coach Reeve, you know, thinks should happen. Um, you know what? It, it is, again, it's human error. The officials made a mistake. Um, it, it is what it is. There, there's, there's no going back in time, you know, in, in, as you said, in an alternate universe. Um, there's no going back. So it is what it is, and unfortunately, in this case, it did affect her uh, negatively, but there have been other times where it did affect them positively. So let's talk about Candace Parker, Kyle, because you, you talked about it and, and you've been alluding to it. She's, she was snubbed from the Olympic team. Her you know, college coach passes away. She doesn't make the all WNBA team. Um, there's just a lot thrown in her direction this year. She ends up winning the WNBA finals MVP honors and you know, absolutely deserved it. Um, so when you think about it, and I think, you know, some of the quotes coming out of this game after, and even Sparks coach Brian Agler, he, he was playing Rocky Top from his phone during the press conference, and you, you just see Parker kind of get her eyes all period, and she goes over and gives him a big old hug, and I think that's kind of the chemistry that this team showed throughout, even with Awumake saying, hey, um, and I quote here, she's been through so much. She's probably the most misunderstood person in the league, I told her I wanted her to get one. And I think that just shows how much this team really kind of evolved around Parker. Yeah, and, and I mean, she's a veteran. I mean, as Ogumake said, you know, they wanted to get it for her. I, I don't believe that, that she was the only one that felt the way. Um, you know, I think that they all saw what, what Candace went through this year, uh, both emotionally uh, with the loss of Summit and not making the, the U.S. Olympic team when she felt like she still had a lot to give. Um, and then just setbacks in, in the way that, um, you know, the way that MVP voting happened, the way that all-star voting happened. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things, unfortunately, that that Candace kind of got the, the, uh, the slip this year. And, and this is one way to help redeem her, um, and, and it's great that, NECA was able to help with that and Beard was able to help with that and, and the entire Sparks team. And, and it's just a great thing that, you know, she got her, she got her championship and I, I don't think she's done yet. I think she, there's still a lot to go with Candace Parker, but, um, but forever she will be known as, as a 2016 champion at least. Absolutely. And when you think about this team, you talked about what they can bring to the table. We saw Minnesota make it, an incredible run in these last six years, three championships. They played in five of the last six WNBA finals. I mean, it seems like they're the role model of consistency in the WNBA. 
Yeah, I, you know, unfortunately, it's an even year, and it seems that the Lynx only win in odd years. But <laughs> um, but the Lynx are not going away either. I mean, this is a great team. This is a, a very deep, well-developed team, and, and they are a team. And, again, this isn't just the Maya Moore show. You know, uh, Augustus has been amazing. Um, Lindsey Whalen has been one of the best point guards, if not the best point guard in the league. Um, you know, this is just a very deep team that, that I think is going to continue to be around in the next couple of years. Absolutely. And I mean, this game was incredible. 24 lead changes, 11 ties. You go back and forth in the WNBA finals, you know, you deserve that championship at the end when you put forth that effort. Uh, were you surprised to see LA kind of compete throughout the season and finish this strong, Kyle? Uh, no, I mean, I think from the beginning, we thought that they would be a solid team. Um, I don't know that I thought that they'd win it all at the beginning of the year, um, but they they were definitely a solid team that we were talking about being uh, possibly, you know, in the final four as we got closer to the end of the season here. Uh, and then as we saw, unfortunately, Chicago, you know, I think that they they lost a lot when they lost uh, Deladon, even though they did make a good run after the fact. Um, I think with Deladon, I think it could have been a different story this year. Um, but Sparks just proved afterwards that they were they were a great team. And, and um, you know, again, as much as I say that the Lynx are a, a team and they all share the ball, that's what the Sparks did this year too. Absolutely. And it, you, it showed throughout this matchup. And, and, you know, they say it all the time, defense wins championships. And mm-hmm. the Sparks were one of the best defenses in the WNBA this season. Uh, and it showed in that last last fourth quarter, uh, back and forth game with L.A. kind of pushing to take over that lead again, um, and the Lynx responding. So a lot of defense, a lot of offense there, um, and a lot of great stuff in this WNBA season. The 20th season wraps up with the L.A. Sparks taking the 2016 championship, an incredible feat. I uh, want to also shout out Brian Waters from Fox Sports in D.C. Their help during the WNBA Finals was phenomenal from IW Sports. Uh, so if you get a chance, go read their article as well on the finals recap. Kyle, so we moved from the WNBA in an incredible 20th season to a league just starting out. And, I mean, it seems like every weekend we have incredible action in in, in the schedule of uh, games for the weekend. We saw this past weekend the New York Rivers visiting the Boston Pride for the first time. Um, and, you know, EA is a New York fan. We're Boston fans, so we always kind of get these matchups and get a little more excited than usual. Um, New York strikes first. They, they take uh, a 1-0 lead in the first period. But then Boston storms back, Kyle, and it seems like this Boston Pride team, they love the second period. 12 goals so far on the season in the second period. I mean, these two teams battling at it, what, what were your thoughts uh, of this matchup this past weekend? Well, I, th- I think it shows the first period anyways, I think really showed that the Riveters are a much improved team than last year. Um, I think with them scoring first and keeping the, the pride um, scoreless in that first, I think was huge. Um, I think that the, the Riveters, unfortunately, without Kessel, aren't as good as they can be as well. And I know that you could say the same thing on the flip side because the pride didn't have night in this game either. Um, but I do think that the Rivers are a better team. And unfortunately, as you said, that second period for the pride, I don't know if it's just they're better at adjusting or if they just get their legs under them in the first. And then the second, they just attack. Um, it's, 
it is obvious that they are the best second period team in the league. Um, and, and that's not been, that's not even close. That's not even in question. Um, they've just been phenomenal in that second period over and over and over again. And Brittany, Brittany got the, got the rest on this match and no injury there. Just, just a day's rest. She's been playing phenomenal as coach Bobby J said, and wanted to get Slobodinik some time. But Kyle, this was Slobodinik's first start in that since coming back from that injury last year. And if you heard it on the Periscope uh, press conference with my W Sports, she was really excited to, to be back and really, um, you know, grateful for the opportunity to get a start. She wants more, obviously, on the season. Um, what were your thoughts about her? I think she made 18 saves on net, 17 saves on net. I, I think I, I think she's a, a very solid player. Um, I, I think we have to remember, though, that, that she is still the backup to – uh, the the best goaltender of last year, and you know I don't think Brittany Ott is uh, is doing anything that that would cause her to lose her job. I mean she is still been uh, phenomenal this year as well. So as much as she may want some more playing time, uh, you're unfortunately playing behind a, a very great goaltender um, in Brittany Ott. So. Um, I think her performance was great, though. I don't want to take anything away from her in this game. Uh, she did give up the first period goal, but after that, she was solid. Um, and it wasn't a ton of shots, like you said. There were only uh, 17 total shots for the for the Riveters. Um, but but she held her own, and, and there were some very close ones that that um, I thought she made some great plays on. And and I don't I think that um, even Ott would have had some trouble with some of the the pucks that she kept out of net on this day. Absolutely. And when you think about kind of the offense in front of her, Zoe Hickel, who I think personally is one of the, the most improved players this year, um, and not only just statistically, but just her play on the ice, you can see her presence kind of felt throughout throughout the game. Uh, she scores the, the game tire in the second period. Alex Carpenter, whoop, whoop, BC, um, she gets the, <laughs> the go-ahead goal and what turns out to be the game-winning goal. And then Amanda Pelkey, uh, who we'll talk about in a second, she scores the game, the second-period uh, goal to make it 3-1 going into the third. Um, yeah, second-period goal to make it 3-1 going into the third. So then you see Decker and Marvin add in the third. I mean, is this offense just unstoppable right now, Kyle, or did we see kind of a little bit of a glimpse that they are kind of stoppable with the right game plan? I don't know that they're stoppable. Um, yeah, again, I, I come back to this is a team that's playing without quite possibly their best player. Um, I know some people would argue that Decker and Knight are the same, but um, I, I mean, without Knight, they're still putting up five goals. Um, you know, we saw last week that they did get slowed a little. They they didn't score as much last week, so and we had a great goaltending effort uh, from Brian McLaughlin, but um, I just think that once this team gets going, there's too many, there's too many options. Um, you saw five different players score goals in this game, and and it could come from all five, any of those five. It could come from other players uh, that didn't score on this night. Um, so I don't know that they they can be. I think somebody's gonna have to outscore them to beat the pride this year. I don't see anybody really uh, shutting them down too often. And on the opposite, and if you do keep up to zero or one, you better win that game. (laughs) (laughs) And not not blow a shootout, right? 
Yeah. Well, so you talked about it, Cal. You talked about the goaltending for the Pride. You talked about the offense. Let's look at the opposite end with the New York Riveters. I mean, coming yeah. into the season, we had high hopes for them. And as you mentioned, they have a couple of injuries now that they're dealing with. Um, when you look at what they have right now, Mie uh, Denich has been phenomenal as, as a rookie this year, but they're still missing it. And I think the goaltending issue is what we really talked about coming into coming into this season that they really had to fix from last year. At least we agreed on that. Um, did, did you – I mean, for me, watching the game, Sojung Shin, she had phenomenal first period uh, and really shut down the Boston Pride. But then it seemed like the Pride really figured her out in the second. Uh, so she ends up giving five, five goals. Katie Fitzgerald, she had a, couple, a rough outing last weekend as well. Are the I mean, excuse me, are the Riveters still looking for their go-to goaltender? I wasn't really sure. Um, I mean, I, I know that they went with uh, So Jung Shin in this game. Um, I, I'm not sure that she's their their number one. Um, you know, you, you said that uh, Fitzgerald struggled a little last week, and and I would disagree. I think um, I really liked what Fitzgerald did last last week, and and I thought that she actually played uh, a better game last week than than Shin did this week. So, um, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see as the season goes on, which one gets more playing time. I don't know if they're just swapping back and forth at this point, or if, if this, if, if you're putting uh shin in net against the pride, if you're basically saying she's our number one. Um, and if so, I, I don't know that that's the right move. I think, like I said, I thought Fitzgerald did a, a lot of, had a lot of great saves last week and showed me that I thought that, that she was the better of the two. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So when you're looking at, you know, this team without Kessel, and we're also going to see Team USA missing uh, Kessel due to that injury, that lower body injury she suffered in that first weekend, um, Amanda Pelkey is going to step in. And Amanda Pelkey is the reigning NWHL Player of the Week. We've seen her kind of come on strong for the Pride this season in the absence of Hillary Knight. Um, Obviously well-deserving, Kyle. What are your thoughts on Pelkey's play so far this season? I believe she was – was she a Player Tuesday nominee, or, or was she the uh, the winner last week for My W Sports? Yeah, yeah, she was a TPT nominee. She was a TPT nominee? Oh, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, her her uh, shootout goal last week is, is clearly uh, uh, an example of just how good she can be. Um, I think when you – I think if you were to take some of the players off of this Pride team that lead the way in scoring, I think Pelkey would step up. And you wouldn't miss much. I, I really like Pelkey's play. Um, I think that she really puts good shots on net and, and makes uh, goaltenders really respect her when she's on the ice as well. So I think this is a great thing for US, the U.S. team. Um, and I think that uh, she's going to fill in that role for, for Kessel very well. Absolutely. It's going to be really fun to watch. Hey, quick side note here, Kyle. We talked about Brittany. Uh, does it bother you that she's not getting national team attention right now? Yeah, definitely. This is a, a player that has proven on the on some of the biggest stages. I mean, she's playing. She played all of last year, almost every single game last year. And these and same NWHL players, these same Team USA team members, and she's done such an amazing job. And yet, she's not getting a look. And I know that you know we've just lost uh, some like Jesse Vetter, who just retired, and and. Um, uh, Rigsby, I believe, is 
is, you know, getting towards that point as well. And, you know, there, there's, there's a need for great goaltending. And I don't understand why Brittany hasn't gotten that look because I think she's proven that she's very capable of being in goal for Team USA. And I, I have to agree. I mean, I was talking to a reporter at the game last weekend, and, you know, we're, we're talking, and I, I was just shocked that she hadn't even been, you know, kind of called up to, to for at least a tryout or a couple of games to get her feet wet. Um, because I agree with you, Kyle. I think, you know, not only this year and last year, but she proved herself in Maine as well. And playing in the Hockey East is no easy task, especially when you're going up against Marie-Philippe Poulin and Alex Carpenter and, uh, a bunch of other great players who came out of the hockey East during, in her class. So I think that's, that's kind of what irks me a little bit about it is, Hey, give her a shot. Let her prove herself. Let her play some international competition and we'll see where it lands. If she gives up five goals, then we see, you know, but at, at this point it's, you know, like you said, we have goalies kind of walking out the door. Let's, let's get some of those new faces in there and at least get them some attention. Yeah. And it, it, like you said, I don't see how it could hurt you at all. I think, um, I think she's proven herself enough. And, and I know, you know, when we talk about who is going to be there, um, I believe McLaughlin is still on the list. Um, and I'm not sure who else they have in goal right now. But um, but certainly, Ott is just as deserving as, as any other name you could throw out there at this point. Uh, we mentioned a fun fact about BC early in the show. Well, I'll let you know right now. Katie Burt, watch out for that name in a couple yes. years for Team USA. Um, All right, Kyle, so we move from one offensive explosive game to another offensive explosive game. On Sunday, we saw the Connecticut Whale battle the Buffalo Buttes up at the Harbor Center in Buffalo. And, I mean, before we can even settle down and get ready for this game, five minutes into it, the Connecticut Whale score four goals. Now, I'm pretty sure that's an NWHL record. Um, So shout out to the Whale for breaking that record. But – and, and the little personal thing here is Haley Scarupa, who's been one of my wow. favorite players for a couple of years now. She she she's been having a, an incredible start to her campaign, her rookie campaign. Two goals in that span of five minutes. Dana Trevino, who's who's more known for her her penalty box um, visits, uh, she gets a tip in to make it three zero. And Nicole Conry is the one who started all the scoring. Um, Kyle, this was incredible. Four goals in five minutes. Well, geez, you know, we were just talking about goaltending, and I, I, I'm not sure if there was any goaltending in this matchup. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you're right; it, it was it was quick. It was like all of a sudden I blinked, and and it was four to nothing. And um, you know, you mentioned Haley Skarupa; she has been the best player in the NWHL for the first three weeks, hands down. I mean, she is doing everything she can to keep Whale viable at this point. Absolutely, and you talk about that first game. She had a hat trick in, in, in her debut. Um, right. Now she gets two goals in this matchup early on. But, again, it seems like something is up with the whale, Kyle, because they get these leads, and especially against the Buffalo Buttes, they get these leads, and they make it. They let it become very interesting. Well, I think, yes, I do believe that the whale – unfortunately somehow forget how to play after they have a lead. Um, but I also think that the Buttes are so good at, at playing from behind and we saw it all of last year and we saw it just last week against the pride. They were down, they came back, they tied it up, sent it in overtime. Um, 
they're they're just good at playing from behind. And and the Buttes, the Buttes, I think are are the ones that really turn this game around. Not so much the Whale, uh, for you know, forgetting how to play or or taking a little step off the gas pedal. The Buttes really made just an incredible comeback in this game. And that's that's a great point, Kyle, because you finish the first period and you see Connecticut's up 5-1. to one. Emily Janiga made it 4-1 uh, with the Buffalo Buttes score, just about four minutes left in the first period. And then Kelly Stack, <clears throat> another BC player, uh, made it 5-1. <laughs> to one. So we go into the second period, Kyle, and, you know, um, we're obviously active in the chat while watching the game as well. We're talking to all the fans. And, you know, it becomes 5-2 to two with Devon Skeets. She makes it midway through the second period, a 5-2 game. And then, I mean, obviously one of the best players in NWHL history, not only last year, but she's proving it this year, is Kelly Stedman. She gets back-to-back goals, one at the end of the second period to make it 5-3, and then to start the third period about five, uh, excuse me, seven minutes in, she makes it 5-4. So now we have a one-goal game in the third period between Connecticut and Buffalo. And, I mean, I know Whale fans all over the world were biting their nails, Kyle. And, and they should. I mean, the, again, the the whale had this game in hand just five minutes into this game, and and unfortunately they just didn't continue to play, and they allowed the Buttes to come back and and almost make this make, take the the game over. Um, and unfortunately, unfor- I'll say, uh, Jordan Brickner gave the the whale the six four lead that they would not uh, ever take a look back at. Absolutely, and Connecticut, that would, that would end up, Jordan Brickner would end up the game-winning goal. Buffalo would add one just a few minutes, excuse me, just about a minute later with Corinne Bowie uh, scoring it to, to make it 6-5, but the Whale would get an empty net goal at the end of the matchup by Kelly Babstock um, to make it 7-5 to final. When you look at these two teams, Connecticut right now in second place, Buffalo in third place, we, we, I think we both agree that Pride are, are pretty much going to hold down first unless they stumble uh, along the way. Very unlikely, but it's possible. So in this battle for second and third, we saw it become crucial last year with Buffalo making it as, as um, the three seed, I believe. What are your thoughts about these two teams, Kyle? Well, I'm I'm excited to see these guys play more. I think I think you're right. I think when we're talking about who's going to be that number two seed, uh, who's going to be the team that's going to last through the playoffs, and you know I don't mean to assume that the Pride will be in the final, but I do. Um, you know which of these teams is going to be that team, and and again I I, I don't know that I want to write off the Riveters yet because I think that they're um, they're much improved, and I think that they're going to make some way as the season goes on um but certainly when the whale and the buttes come together i think we're going to just see amazing games all the time and this was one of them this was this ended up even though it was for nothing and five minutes in this ended up being a great game in the end and um you know i i think that the buttes have a great all-around team and i still think that the buttes will end up in that second place finish um but the whale have shown me that that they're not a fluke, and and they can uh, they can beat these two teams, Buffalo uh, Buttes and the New York Riveters, and keep themselves in that number two spot. So, you know, I'm not sure, but but I think that we're going to see some great games between them, and that's that's what I am sure of. 
when you mentioned the league leader in goals right now, Haley Skrupa with five. She's been kind of leading the charge for the whale. Um, and then you look at some other players on that top, the top of the list, Alex Carpenter's tied for third. Uh, so a bunch of rookies doing what they can to keep their teams uh, ahead of the race. And we'll see exactly how that turns out later on in the season. Right now, the NWHL is in a two-week break. Um, we'll get back to action in a couple of weeks. But, Kyle, when you think about these, the, this league, um, and it, it's still obviously really young, but when you think about these players, and, and even now we see last year's NCAA senior class stepping up, I mean, the growth only looks that much better in the future. Oh, absolutely. And, and we were excited to see uh, last year's group come out um, and we've seen very quickly, you know, players that have made impacts. And I think we're going to see even more players making impacts as the season goes on. Um, you know, and I think I, I look ahead to what we just saw in the draft class uh, this this autumn, September, August, whenever that draft was. Um, some of those names as well, as they get added to these rosters, hopefully next year, um, you, you're just going to see better and better play in the NWHL. And, and I don't think that that's going to stop. And, and, and the only question that I have then is, you know, is four teams enough or do we need to add more teams and, and add more of this talent that's coming out of, that's coming out of college? Yeah, and you can see, you know, that there's plenty of places to eye for, uh, you know, for, for expansion, I guess. And last year we saw that tease at the end of uh, the Isabel Cup finals. But, again, I – it's it's interesting to see what we have out there in professional leagues, and we'll get to the CWHL in a moment and get to that recap. But we talked about this last game, or, or I think it was two games ago, Kyle, where it would be really interesting to see these two leagues combine, having two teams in Boston, uh, and maybe adding a, a team in Chicago, Minnesota, um, and making it a 10-team league between the NWHL and CWHL. Well, it, and I think we need to be honest. I think – there are a lot of people out there that believe that the the pride have all of the top U.S. national team players, and it's a just a foregone conclusion that the pride are going to win uh, the Isabel Cup again. And and if that's the case, then then I I recommend that we do expand, expand and and have a, another team in Boston, and split those players up over two teams because then you, you don't have everybody going to one team. You have two great teams, hopefully, um, in Boston playing against this other great competition. And I absolutely agree. I mean, and it's not just our Boston bias talking, but it, it, we also understand that women's hockey is huge here in the city of Boston, not only in the city of Boston, but the state of Massachusetts. Um, when you think about some of these players who have come out this season, an Alex Carpenter or Haley Scarupa, m- most of these players are, and uh, Nicole Connery are all New England natives. So having them in your own backyard and then creating a league where you ha- you can expand from New England out, I guess, um, I think that's really important because I know Minnesota is 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 another hot you know hotbed that people are eyeing and want. But again, it, it's about making the right move here. And I think as you mentioned, Kyle. Um, we talked about this off, off or off air. Um, New York has two teams in the NHL, you know. So why couldn't a Boston team, especially for for women's hockey, have two teams? Right, and and it's true. You you do have some great hockey coming out of uh, out of hockey East, out of the ECAC. Um, you know, like you said, out of Minnesota, out of Wisconsin, out of that 
Midwest area. Um, yeah, whether it's whether it's another team in Boston, whether it's um, you know Buffalo did a great job this past year. I know during the draft of of trying to uh, draft players that were from the Buffalo area. There's a lot of great hockey going on out in the Buffalo area as well, uh, growing up right now too. So I, I don't know whether it's that, whether, whether you put one smack dab in the middle in, in say Albany, New York and, and have kind of a middle of the road, uh, team that that's between the Buffaloes and the Boston's and New York and Connecticut. Um, you know, I think that maybe you could get some players, uh, you know, from the, the ECAC, from the Clarksons, uh, you know, from the St. Lawrence, from the area, from, from uh, you know, other hockey schools, uh, UConn, that are coming out. Um, you know, I think, I, I think that there's enough talent. And I, don't, I know, uh, obviously, when we talk about adding more teams, adding more players, we're, we're, we're talking about more money as well, though. Um, so I'd love to see it, but maybe it's in the infancy still for the NWHL. Well, we'll see what happens after year two, and maybe mm-hmm. we'll see an expansion going into year three. We saw it in the NWSL, so it's very possible that it can happen in the NWHL. Now, speaking of one of uh, these aforementioned leagues, the Canadian Women's Hockey League, Kyle, is going into its it, – no, it's not going – it's currently in its 10th season – Let's get talking about this. I, every time I tweet about the CWHL, it's hashtag CWHL10. So all of you fans out there listening, let's get this going. Let's, let's, let's get more people involved in, in realizing that this is history right here. Um, and, yeah, it's 10 years after – or it's 10 years less than WNBA, but this is the longest – one of the longest-serving professional leagues in North America. So going into this, Kyle, I'm really excited for the CWHL season. Oh, absolutely. I think that this is, again, when we talk about the talent, uh, the CWHL had another burst of, of talent come into the league this year as well. And they're, they're only getting better as, as they're going on as well. So, um, you know, I'm really excited to see a couple of games when they head down to the Boston area, um, when they come visit the Boston blades and, and see what, uh, you know, see what it looks like to see, uh, Genevieve Lacasse, in another uniform to see uh, Emirates McIntyre in a, in a uniform, in a CWHL uniform to see Renata fast, who we saw play for Clarkson in the uh, frozen four last year playing in the CWHL. So I- I'm very excited and, and I've, I've loved to see it on, uh, on the computer so far this year. And uh, I'm excited to see it live real soon. Absolutely. And we got to see an incredible matchup. Uh, this past weekend between the Toronto Furies and Montreal Les Canadiens. Um, Montreal obviously had a great season last year. They, they fell a little bit short of their ultimate goal in winning the Clarkson Cup. Toronto, they finished in the bottom of the pack, but this year with Natalie Spooner at the helm, they're trying to get things going. And it seemed like in this first game, Cal, they really had uh, the momentum. Emily Fulton scores to give the Furies a 1-0 lead in the first. Uh, and then back and forth throughout the remainder of that period, it kind of looked like it was going to be an intense game, and it actually turned out to be one. Um, and you, I, you, I, I know there's this whole USA-Canada rivalry, and I'm a U.S. guy, but I'm sorry, Kyle. You mentioned Hillary Knight being one of the best players in the world. Marie-Philippe Poulain, I mean, she's young, but she's, she's – I think she's up there, Kyle. Absolutely. I do not disagree with you there. I think if we're we're talking 
uh, the top three. I think both of those names would be in the top three. Um, she is she is a dynamite player um, that that is only getting better as time goes on. Absolutely. So she scores just about thirty seconds into the second period to level this one at one one between the Furies and Les Canadiens. And then you see some phenomenal goaltending between these two teams. I, I, I'm a big fan of Christina Kessler, and I think the defense for Toronto is really what gets me a little bit because if their defense was a little better, I think this can be a high-scoring offense and a really good defensive team. Um, but unfortunately, the defense lets them down, and with 5-08 remaining in the third period, Poulin, she gets another goal, her third of the season, second of the game for the game-winning goal to make it 2-1. to one. Uh, in that in late in that third period, so Montreal will take that game two to one, and they'd play a second one, Kyle, on Sunday. Yeah, and I, I think I think that you just hit it right on the head. I think Toronto needs their defense uh, to hold, especially when you're talking about teams like Lights Canadians, who high scoring powerhouse, like uh, the Calgary Inferno, who we know is going to score a lot of goals. Um, the defense needs to hold for them to to win more games than they did last year. And and when you think of the the defense that that Toronto has, they've they've gotten improved this they've been improved this year, but they're only going to get better with time as well because they have two great rookies in Aaron Ambrose and Renata Fast on their defense. And they're they're rookies in the CWHL. I think right now they're still trying to find their way and figure out. Uh, you know, how to be as good as they can be. Um, but certainly as this season goes on, I think the Fury's defense behind those two specific, specifically are only going to get better. Um, so, yeah, yeah I mean, that you... first game, that was a great game. And for, for Poulin to score uh, the game winner, it doesn't, doesn't surprise anybody uh, that's ever seen Poulin play. Absolutely, and you you mentioned it between Ambrose and Fast. Right now they have combined five points. They're doing what they need to do as rookies to fill in those voids that they lost last year. And another name to throw in there, I'm not a defensive player, but Michaela Cava, she's up there leading the NWA, excuse me, the CWHL in rookie points. So th- those, those players, once they get going and get some more games under their belt, I think that you're absolutely right, Kyle. They could be a team that's competing late in the season. Uh, and if not, they're at least going to be competitive. You know, unfortunately, last year they they got towards the end of the season, and and unless they were playing the Blades, they weren't very competitive. Um, but I I believe that the Furies are a much improved team this year, and and they are going to be around uh, later in the season this year. Absolutely, Michaela Cavo, one goal, two assists on the season for three points. Renata Fast, one goal, two assists for three points. And we talked about Erin Ambrose; she has two assists. For two points, so those those rookies right there for Toronto uh, right. have eight points so far on the season. So as you mentioned, Kyle, they're going to be a, a trio to watch for the uh, for the Furies. Yeah, and and then you know you you mentioned uh, Lays Canadians are a high scoring team. I mentioned that they're a high scoring team, and then of course on Sunday they proved that they're a high scoring team, uh, beating the Furies four to one. A uh, lot of when we talk about the the Lays Canadians. I, I know we say Marie Philippe Poulin a lot, um, but but what what Clement Hydra does for the the Lays Canadiens is what what I would say just to relate to uh, WHL is what Becker and Knight do for the Pride. 
they are just a, such a dynamic duo. And if you try to shut down Poulin, Clement Hydra is going to get you. And if you shut down Clement Hydra, then Poulin is somewhere down the road as well. So, um, she's the school of this, this game uh, very early into the game, 119 into the game. Uh, Noemi Marin gets another goal in the second period to extend the lead to, to 2 0 for Lace Canadiens. Natalie Spooner cuts the deficit to, to one uh, shortly thereafter. But another player with a great start to this year, as you're talking about uh, youth and, and great play, Sarah Leffert gets her third goal of the season in the third period. And then Anne Sophie Betez also gets a goal in the third. And the Montreal Lays Canadiens uh, win four to one. Absolutely, Kyle. I mean, I've got to I got to say this on the low a little bit. I, don't, I hope my BC friends and, and and network aren't really listening, but you you hit it right on the head. Lafort has been, I mean, just so much fun to watch. It's not even it's not even a question about who I enjoy watching right now more than Sarah Lafort. I mean, Haley Scarupa obviously is is up there, but I think when you're on a team as talented as less Canadiens, and you're doing what, what she's been able to do, three goals and one assist in the first couple of games, I mean, you're filling in pretty nicely if, if those are your stat lines. Right. Oh, she's a, B, she's a BU product. That's why I said that whole thing. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> BU. Yeah. The other yeah, I mean, school. <laughs> she, she has been great. And, and you know, I, I think that when I think back to last week and her performance last week, um, you know, she really popped on the, the radar for me last week and for her to come back again this week and get another big goal, um, you know, when, like I said, Natalie Spooner just made this a two, one game. It was, it was now a, a close game. It may be in doubt. Maybe the, the Furies can make a comeback. She, she puts it away and, and in big situations, she has been unbelievable. And, and, you know, last week she did the same thing with her overtime goal. Absolutely, and and that's that's the incredible thing about kind of like we talked about the senior class. It's not only in the NWHL, but it translates over to the CWHL, and not only just the senior class, but some of these rookies playing for the first time in the professional league. Uh, we saw Kate Leary last uh, last week, <clears throat> excuse me, for the Boston Blades get on the board. So there's a lot of uh, some of these fresh faces. You know, we're gonna get used to them, especially now in their first year. If they're making this kind of uh, a bang in 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 the, what the first month, I would say. Um, I'm, I'm only more excited as a fan to, to get into the latter half of the season and see, you know, the, com- the competitiveness when the playoff races start to heat up. Well, and we're gonna, I'm going to say the same thing we said about the NWHL. How do you not talk about expanding in the CWHL as well when you have such great play going on and great players on all of these teams? I mean, you have the Calgary Inferno who are – bursting with great talent. You have the Lace Canadiens who are bursting with talent. You have Toronto who has gotten marketably better this year. You have the Blades who have gotten a huge influx this year from the draft, from from the Boston area. You have the Brampton Thunder who last year could have could have uh upset everybody and won the Clarkson Cup last year and fell just short and and they're struggling a little right now, but they're still a very good team as well. Absolutely, and that's that's why it gets so much, you know, it gets so interesting because you have all these teams right now where some of them are still trying to figure out their identity, but they're still being competitive. And, and we we saw it with the Riveters with with Boston, you know, in that first the first 
first half of that game, it was really New York dominating. And, you know, again, I mentioned it before, Sojin Shin, she made some huge saves. And I think we see that here as well. Um, in that second game with Toronto and Les Canadiens, um, there was no Labonte. So Catherine Heron, she had to get the start. And, and we see her fill in lovely, making uh, 19 or 18 saves on 19 shots. So it, it's incredible to see this, Cal, because as you mentioned, there are so many players out there, and we have so little teams, and so these opportunities are limited. And I can't wait for the day that we're talking about the NWHL and the CWHL or, uh, you know, Women's Hockey League together where where all these players are playing. And, you know, just like the NHL, we have a huge fan base, not only here in the States but across the world, where they're cheering on players. And whether it's a Catherine Heron or a Christina, a Christina Kessler, excuse me, uh, a Sarah LaFort or a Natalie Spooner, um, there's so many great things coming out of these leagues that – it makes you appreciate what you've always been given as a fan in, in professional sports. Well, and I think you just said it right there too, is that the NHL has some great talent from across the world. And I think that's one thing that the CWHL and the NWHL need to tap into a little bit more. Um, you know, we still see uh, players from uh, Finland and Russia and, and they're not playing in either of these two leagues. Um, you know, we saw Belkova head back to Russia this year. Um, we we haven't seen some of the great goaltending, Florence Schelling, uh, Nora Ratti, you know, the great players that came to the U.S. To, to play in college and then went back to their home country to play, possibly because they're getting paid more money, possibly because, um, you know, that's just where they want to be and, and they're not getting paid. So why not just be home and not get paid? Um, but, but the NWHL and the CWHL need to make a concerted effort to get more of those players here as well. So we're not just talking about, Oh, well, all the team USA is on the pride and Oh, well, all of the Canadian national team, they can only play in the CWHL. Let's make it a global league. One of them or both of these leagues, let's make it a global league and let's get Belakova back. Let's get some of these great uh, Russians over here. Let's, let's get the players over here. Yeah, Kyle, and I think you hit it right on the head. And we see we see a lot of that in the CWHL this season. And I think that's where a lot of credit should be going right now because you have a Mexican team national player, you have Russian team mm-hmm. national players, Japanese team national players. You have mm-hmm. a bunch, you know, this cavalcade of athletes from across the globe, as you mentioned. And that's what we need. We need more people like, uh, you know, just a little girl in Mexico who can say, hey, Claudia Valdez, she's playing, she's playing professional hockey. I could play professional hockey, you know? Those are the things that, that really grow the game later on in life, and, and I, I really hope that both leagues can come to their senses in a, in a, in a, in a way and say, hey, what's going to promote the game the best way? You know, if we come together, let's do it. Or if it is individually, then make sure individually you're both doing the best that you can to increase the, the, you know, the growth of the game. Yeah, and, and you're right. There are more. I, I would still like to see more, though. I mean, you're right. There are certain players. There are um, more players in CWHL now than there are in the NWHL, but I, I'd still like to see more in general. There's so many great players out there that, that aren't playing in, in either of these two leagues right now. So it's unfortunate because we don't get to see 
you know, until we go to the Olympics or we see them in the Four Nations Cup, we don't get to see some of these great players in, from other countries. Absolutely. So we finish up our hockey talk, and we will move into some more hockey talk, Kyle, just for a bit, as we hit around the NCAA. And we'll hit NCAA ice hockey first with Wisconsin still remaining undefeated. They sweep North Dakota in, the, in an incredible two-game series. Uh, we talked about four-goal or multi-goal performances. Sarah Nurse, I think she netted four out of the five goals in that second game for Wisconsin to pull away from North Dakota. We saw Minnesota hold off Ohio State unranked, but still playing some quality hockey. Uh, and Quinnipiac, they end up coming up to Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, the three-seed or the th- third-ranked team. They draw against Boston College in an overtime period on Friday, then go down back to Hamden, Connecticut, and host the Eagles. The Eagles will score four goals in that matchup to win 4-1. to one. Uh, Kyle, a lot of great things happening in collegiate hockey right now. Yeah, and, and uh, what we have to remember is that there's still a long way until March. Um, so, you know, it's great that, that you know, BC was able to, to beat Quinnipiac uh, up at, up in BC, but it, it's early. And I think that Quinnipiac needs to stay hot and, and stay on the track that they've been on. Uh, once they get into their true ECAC play, uh, I think you're going to see the Quinn, you're going to see Bobcats uh, really turn it on and, and be a team to be uh, that we're going to have to watch for late in the season. Um, you know, we saw them last year make a run towards the end of the year um and and unfortunately fell short as they they lost to Clarkson heading in the Frozen Four but but they're going to be a team we're going to have to watch for and and when you talk about Minnesota and Wisconsin 1-2 again um you know obviously with with great goaltending comes comes great teams and uh Wisconsin still has that and um you know Star Nurse as you said you know she's another great player that that is is always going to be there and and she's going to keep Wisconsin in it. Uh same with with Minnesota, you've still got some great forwards even though they lost Kessel. Um you know, saw Potomac have a, a great Frozen Four last year. Um you know, I'm really excited as this winter gets gets colder. Uh what happens on the ice? Uh because there's there's a lot of great teams out there in, in the NCAA hockey this year and and I'm excited to see more great matchups between uh, top teams. Absolutely. We'll get some more of that tomorrow as Northeastern and Boston University meet at Walter Brown Arena in Boston and Concordia, where Julie Chu is coaching right now. They'll play uh, number seven, St. Lawrence in Canton, New York. So those are going to be some good matchups, Kyle. We look at kind of the schedule further down on Thursday, Penn State, RIT. St. Cloud State will play Minnesota. Uh, and then coming up on this weekend, some more big matchups with Colgate and, as you mentioned, Quinnipiac starting their ECAC schedule, Clarkson as well. Um, so some big teams to keep an eye out for. I guess the biggest matchup might be Bemidji State going up against North Dakota, North Dakota receiving some votes, Bemidji State uh, number 10 on uh, on the year right now. So a lot going on, and if you look at kind of <clears throat> excuse me, the rankings, Wisconsin number one, obviously they're 7-0-1 right now. Minnesota, their tough loss kind of put them in that second place position, but I'm a little surprised at Minnesota Duluth, Kyle. Why? Go ahead. I, I I think that when you talk about um, you know that that Midwest area, when you when you think of 
Minnesota Duluth, when you think of, as you said, Bemidji State taking on North Dakota, yes, we know that Wisconsin and Minnesota are going to be two teams that we're going to have to watch for late in the season, but it's anybody's game beyond that. And, and, and a team like a Minnesota Duluth, a team like a, a North Dakota, a team like um, uh, Bemidji State, all of these teams have a shot to win every single time they go out. They, they get some great talent there, uh, both from that Midwest area um, and from, from north of the border from Canada. And, and they're always going to be uh, great fights between those, those teams. And, um, it doesn't surprise me when one of them, um, you know, moves up in the standings. It doesn't surprise me when one moves down in the standings. And and usually when you look to see who they've been playing of late and they, oh, they have a couple of losses. Well, that's probably because they played, you know, some really tough WC uh, or CHA competition. So, um, you know, it's tough. It's tough to, to play out there. There There is always a battle going on uh, out there in that, that Midwest area. Absolutely. Uh, four, two, and two, their two losses coming against number two ranked Minnesota. So as yeah. you mentioned, the competition was really there for uh, Duluth. And, you know, Ashley Brickelick, she, she scored three goals against Boston College at the beginning of the season. So I'm pretty familiar with Duluth, and they are uh, – they probably have the best first line, in my opinion, um, on the season, on the year this year. And it's, I'm pretty sure it's going to prove itself going into – into play, but uh, I do think Minnesota Duluth is is a team that people should be watching out for, uh, and myself included, not expecting them to be this good this early on. And and let's roll with the second too, Lou. So so you're going to say Minnesota Duluth is a team to watch out of the Midwest. Who's your team to watch out of Hockey East? Besides Boston College, of course? Besides Boston College. Um, you know, I, I think there's a team that a lot of people are really underestimating because um, of their youth, and I don't think that should be the case. And this team I'm speaking of, Kyle, is a team I think you might like <clears throat> Excuse me, as well. It's the Merrimack Warriors, the Lady Warriors what? of Merrimack. Merrimack. Hey, <laughs> I, I, I do – I've been talking to some people in Hockey East, and I do like Maine. I think Maine had a big win against BC as well. But I think Merrimack, they're a team that could finish four or five in Hockey East. Um, and, and that's, that's an, quite an accomplishment talking about a second-year program. So I think that's a team that you want to watch out for in Hockey East for sure. Awesome. I love to hear it. Um, I agree. I think that this is a, a team that last year uh, Coach Hamlin uh, started this program, uh, had almost all freshmen on this team last year, um, finished uh, – towards the bottom, if not the bottom of the league last year. However, it was to just keep getting better. And and as the season progressed, they did that. And this year they have come out and looked very good against some top competition already this year. And they have even more great rookies that brought in another great class this year. And they're still young. I mean, again, we're still talking mostly about a sophomore team this year. Um, and so, you know, this may not be their year – you know, this year to move up into the top two, top three of Hockey East, but this is a team we're definitely going to keep an eye on uh, over the next couple of years because they're only going to get better. Um, I would say specifically, I think also, I, I think Northeastern uh, is another team that we have to keep an eye on. I think Northeastern is, is um, they did lose some, some top players, obviously, 
uh, to the draft this past year, but I think that Northeastern still is a very solid team, uh, is a very deep team, and has some great goaltending as well. Yeah, I, I, that's, a, that's a great point, Kyle. And, you know, when you think about them losing Kendall Coyne, that first line, yeah. that's all they lost on that first line. Haley Skamora and uh, Denisa Shishova, they're, they're back. And Shishova is one of the leading scorers or point getters in hockey's play this season. I think she's behind Andy Anasis of Boston College. So um, yep. I think you're right, Kyle. I think, I think, you know, a lot of people are talking about the losses on, on the Hockey East teams this year. But I think that the new faces and the team and the players that have been there uh, are going to step up. I do think it, it, it becomes a little more. Uh, I guess the parity is really the parity is really there. Not only in the hockey, but I think all throughout college hockey this year, the parity is really um, it's showing itself early on. Which is a great thing because you know we don't want somebody to run away with with the season. I think it's great when you have multiple teams. Um, that are able to anybody should be able to beat anybody on any given day, and when you have that, that just shows even more strength. And uh, I think it's a great thing that that we're seeing that, especially in in um, NCAA hockey this year. Absolutely, it's gonna be really interesting to see how this all comes down because we saw last year Boston College go forty and zero, and then they lost the national championship. So a lot a lot can happen, Kyle. Anything can happen. Anything can happen, and and again, you know, when you think about who their loss was to, obviously it was to a great team as well. So, um, and, and it was a great battle uh, in that frozen four final as well. Absolutely. So Kyle, let's move over to volleyball as we get close to uh, wrapping up the show. What do you got for us in NCAA volleyball? So NCAA volleyball starting to reheat up. Uh, we're down to the last about a, a month to go or so. Uh, Nebraska holds the top seed, uh, hung on to it this week. Huge week for them this week. Uh, they swept Wisconsin, who right now is the number four seed. Uh, then they, they had a thrilling 3-2 win over Minnesota. Uh, it's a great, epic battle between these two teams, and I'm sure we're going to see it again as the tournament goes on uh, when we get to the tournament in no, starting in November. Um, Texas has the number two seed right now, uh, followed, as I said, by Minnesota at three, and then Wisconsin at four. Wisconsin's lost to Nebraska, then they swept uh, Iowa as well this this past weekend. So a um, lot of great matchups going on. Um, again, the Big Ten is going to be a, a, a conference to watch as we head into the, the tournament. Uh, Washington is holding number seven. They're, they're a team, obviously, that we saw a lot of last year that, that's trying to make a push again. Um, and, and obviously, Texas has proven to be another team that you know, they're, they're a very solid team out of that 12. And when, uh, when it comes to the tough games, they just seem to always find a way to win. It may not be pretty, uh, but, but Texas always battles through those tough, tough games. And Kyle, it's interesting because, you know, I'm kind of getting deja vu of us talking about the tournament last year and Texas (laughs) and Nebraska are some of the teams that come to mind. And I I mean, right now you look at Nebraska 18 and one, Texas 16 and two, are these two teams your favorites to make it again? Well, I, I think that there will be a team out of the Big Ten in in the end, and I think that uh, we're gonna be kind of a wild card team as the other team, whether it's Texas, whether it's uh, the upstart San Diego team, whether it's uh, another team out of the Big Twelve, Kansas, um, you know, or Washington out, out of the Pac-12. You never know, um, but I, I think we are gonna see one team out of the Big Ten 
and one wild card team. And, and Nebraska had, as I said earlier, kind of the destiny, the stars were aligned uh, for them last year with the finals being in Nebraska. Um, but that, I don't know that's going to be the case this year for them. It's, it's not going to be a home court advantage for them this year. Um, I believe the finals this year in Columbus. Uh, so no home court advantage for Nebraska this year. Okay. So um, obviously I have a thing for Hawaii. They're, they're, they're at 14 right now, uh, 14 wins, five losses. Do you think they have a Cinderella run again? I think it's going to be tough, unfortunately. I think um, <laughs> you never know. The playoffs, the, the tournament is is uh, a one and done. So anybody, you know, gets on a hot streak, they can certainly make a run. Um, but when you when you look at the five losses that they've had already, um, you know, certainly playing in the, the conference that they're in, they don't, they don't have a, a ton of tough competition in their conference. Uh, so you would expect that to be um, – much more like a 18 and one at this point or a, a 17 and two at this point. So I, I'm not sure that I see it out of uh, Hawaii this year, but, but that doesn't mean that we won't be talking about a different Cinderella team uh, this year, heading into the, the final 16. All right. Absolutely. Um, as we move from volleyball, let's talk some field hockey, Kyle. I mean, I just got my feet wet with this sport. Um during the Olympics, and I fell in love, and I was like, wait, we got to do more. We got, we have to do more, and I was actually honored enough to, to broadcast the BCBU field hockey game, um, and that was incredible, finishing overtime with BU beating BC. But right now we saw Maryland, number five uh, ranked on, on the season. UConn was undefeated, and number one, Maryland hands them their first loss on the season. A lot of other incredible action with Duke, uh, Blank, and UNC to win the ACC championship. Louisville having a great year. They, they go by uh, Virginia. So when you're looking at these teams, I think obviously UConn is a team that a lot of people said, hey, they're untouchable, but Maryland just showed that they, they, they're beatable. Well, I, I mean, again, when you talk about, when you talk about the, the, the teams going head-to-head, um, you know, it's always going to be a great matchup, and and UConn UConn has had such a, a great run in the Big East so far this year um, that it, this is a little bit of a stunner. I know it's only number five, knocking off a number one, but um, but when you when you think about Maryland, you know, in the Big Ten, that they have to go up against so many great talent, so many great, talented teams. You know, you've got a, a a Penn State who's thirteen and two in their league. You have a Northwestern who's eleven and six, but but in the uh, the eleventh overall in the in the country right now. You have Michigan, who I got to see on uh, on TV not too long ago, also number sixteen in the nation. Uh, they get day in and day out. They get tested, and you know we said sort of the same thing with uh, UConn basketball as well. Is UConn in the right? Conference? Are they challenging themselves day in and day out so that they're ready when they face a Maryland or when they face, if they are to face a Duke down the road, you know, are they going to be ready for a matchup like that? Absolutely. And as you mentioned, we kind of seen it in this one and uh, unfortunately UConn falls, but I think this is what's great about college sports is 
when you get towards that latter half and you, you have an undefeated record and uh, you're going for a program first, I think this is what makes it so much fun is you got all these great players and all these great teams coming together uh, trying to get that, that conference bid and then go into their conference tournaments with some momentum. Um, and, and when you look at the rankings for these teams, I mean, UConn's, yeah, they're, they're at number one, but you have a bunch of ACC schools in Duke, Syracuse, North Carolina, uh, Louisville, Virginia, all in the top ten. So do you see an ACC school taking the championship, or do you see kind of UConn finishing this run? Yeah, I mean, I again, I always, I will always side with the team that had the the tougher road to get there. If you go head to head with the best of the best all year long, usually you're more um, battle ready. However, uh, this as well is a one game uh, tournament. You you go in, you have to win that game, and when that horn sounds, you know, if you haven't left it all on the field. If you haven't done everything you could during that time, you're, you could lose to any team in the country. It, it doesn't matter if we're talking about the, the top two teams going head-to-head or the top team playing a, a team that's 2-12, that's unranked. I mean, anybody, you still have to go in and win the game. Absolutely, and Talking about winning the game, last year's champion, Syracuse, they played North Carolina and won 4-2 to two to take that championship. UConn was the previous champions going back-to-back in 2013-2014 with Nancy Stevens, Stevens at the helm. Uh, we'll see if UConn can make it back and fight for a program best third uh, national championship, or excuse me, fifth national championship. There were some won in 85 and 81, Kyle. They won the first ever national championship in field hockey. Some stats in the yeah, history there. Definitely. <laughs> again, I wonder, though, if you're thinking back to 2014, 2013, uh, were they still in uh, the larger conference at that time? Um, and again, I think that you just see Duke and you see Syracuse and you see North Carolina, you know, going head to head during the season and, and taking their lumps and, and trying to get better against the best of the best. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's going to be a long road for any team to, and you know, there's obviously always a little bit of luck when we're talking about a, like I said, a one game tournament and, um, you know, we'll see. Absolutely. Um, with about five minutes left, we'll give you some LPGA and WTA action updates. Minji Lee wins her second victory of the LPGA tour, the 2016 Blue Bay LPGA champion. She had to earn this one. Uh, She captured her third career win on tour in total, her second this year. The 20-year-old held off a charging Ariana Jutanagarn, who's fighting for first place for the CME Road to the Globe Championship. Um, And Lee carded a two-under par, 70 to win by one stroke at 13-under par and take the Blue Bay LPGA Championship. We talked about the WTA and um, the Road to Singapore. This is the BNP Paribas. WTA Finals, um, we saw yesterday Angelique Kerber de- defeat excuse me, Dominika Sibukova and Simona Hallett defeat Madison Keys. A lot of great matchups in tennis. Obviously missing from the headlines, Kyle, is Serena Williams. Um, not a lot of points this year to qualify for the tournament. What are your thoughts about uh, going into the, you know, these two seasons in the LPGA and the WTA? We saw a lot of great action this year. Absolutely. And, and you know, yeah. 
I love that we are seeing new names every year as well. You know, we talked a lot last year about specifically uh, in, in golf about Imbi uh, Park and and just how how great she was last year and and you, you're seeing new names, you're seeing new talent, you're seeing uh, you know a spread of of and Lydia Ko and you're seeing a spread of uh, talent throughout the LPGA and the WTA. And, and I think that's a great thing for these these different uh, sports because you're you're gonna get to see better play because it's I don't want to call it parody because parody always has a negative uh, connotation to it but you're seeing great games and great play all the time from people that you didn't expect and I think that's a great thing for all sports and and we've seen that with both like I said the LPGA and the WTA this year. Absolutely, and you hit it right on the head. Talking about this year's winners for the LPGA, a bunch of young players, a bunch of youth players, teenage players too, who were able to, to claim their first win uh, in, in on the tour. So we, we see kind of – we don't really hear Lydia Cole, even though she's gotten a lot of points. We, we, we we're talking about Ariana Jutanagarn because she's kind of that new face, and I think that's great for the game. Uh, and, and as you mentioned in the WTA side, uh, we're so used to Serena, and now it's good to see a Madison Keys, a Simona Halep, uh, come out and, and kind of make a name for themselves and, and kind of grow the game more than just one name. Absolutely. Well, as always, that will do it for us here as we approach our last couple of minutes. I want to thank Kyle Westcott for joining me today. It's always great to have you, buddy. Uh, always great to have this conversation uh, and update our fans here uh, on my W Sports. Definitely. It's always fun. And, and it, obviously uh, we are blessed to have such great sports performances and sports athletes that we get to talk about week in and week out. Absolutely. So of course, join us next week on Monday at seven o'clock as Kyle Westcott, Luis Sanchez and Eric Ayala. We will all be here hopefully uh, and bring you live coverage of what's happened in the week. That's going to happen Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And speaking of those days, you can follow us on social media at Sports as we bring you Motivational Monday, Top Player Tuesday, Women in History Wednesday, Throwback Thursday, and Friday Favorites. And if you have any ideas or suggestions on these days on social media, please let us know. Send us a message on any of those social media handles. Visit us at MyWSports.com. And as always, if you feel generous enough, visit GoFundMe.com forward slash MyWSports and give us a little donation. We'll be all right. Uh, so for Kyle Westcott, I'm Luis Sanchez. Appreciate you tuning in from wherever you are in the world. Please have a great week. Enjoy the rest of your night. And join us again next Monday at 7 p.m. for MyW Sports Sports Monday. Go Merrimack.